What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to another episode of In the Know, brought to you by Untuck It, proud partner of the Blue Wire Network. Thank you, Untuck It. Uh, Mason, man, I don't know. I've been in New Orleans for the last couple weeks, was able to see some games live, but I got to tell you, being in a place where it's 75 to 80 degrees at New Year's and Christmas is is quite incredible um how is are you you came down here for a little bit how, how how's your time been <laughs> you just you're just starting out firing man uh yeah well, I, I mean i so i did time it well i was down there from uh from christmas eve to the 30th and in the morning i flew back flew out uh it was it that's when the cold front came through so it was yeah it was 60s and 70s for a lot of the time and i don't know if i'm sure based on what you just said i guess the temperature bounced back to to 60s and 70s after that quick cold front but uh yeah spent kind a few of. days it like it, kind of yeah it bounced back for a day and then now it's like 60s and 70s again or nice. yeah in the 60s ish nice yeah well uh yeah spent a few days in in detroit with the thanos family and now i'm back in chicago but i also but i uh will be at the pelicans game in new orleans against the bulls on wednesday night uh, for the first time in my uh, four plus years in my company, I have a business reason to go down to New Orleans. And so I, uh, I'm flying back down next Wednesday and I'm going to stay through the weekend. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hooked on the weather now. I got to go back. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, it's been difficult for me to experience any kind of weather change uh, over the course of a year. So uh, Atlanta and its occasional moments of, hey, I'm going to be 35 degrees today has been uh, annoying to say the yeah. least. But I'm sure that's a nice winter day here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure people aren't here to to listen to us talk about the weather, um, and so let's talk about the Pelicans instead, who came off of an impressive four game win streak. They won two games at home back to back last weekend. They had four days off before heading to Los Angeles. In the meantime. There's been some ramping up of some Zion Williamson activity, which we'll touch on uh, at a later point. But 
let's uh, let's get your overall thoughts, some zoomed out view of uh, how the Pelicans have been recently, and then let's dig down on this this Lakers game. Yeah, well, it's it's obviously been fun to see this team string a few wins together. We talked about, I think, the last time we recorded, they had won maybe a, a game or two. So they had won five out of the last six, and so I, I think they had started to really pick things up a little bit, and we were discussing how much was noise and, and just ran a regression for certain stats versus actual improved play. And I think I think we can pretty confidently say after seeing five of six that they, they, they picked it up. Uh, certain players are playing better. The return of favors has been huge. We talked about that. Uh, Lonzo has been better um, there and, and and this team's finally I think starting to click with Gentry's trying to drill into a set rotation it seems like um, we've seen each one more getting consistent minutes and the, the team has done better with him in the rotation versus some of the younger guys um, although we didn't see the random Frank Jackson uh, insertion for the, for the Lakers game last night for the first time in a while but um but yeah I mean I think it's a, a combination of those things and obviously the game against the Lakers didn't go as as we would have hoped but the team, the team hung around. I mean, I, I think they, they were never, you know, they were within seven at two, with two and a half minutes to go. They were never closer than that. So defense on your definition of hanging around. But the game was never, it never felt like it was totally out of hand. Um, and the team did a good job of fighting. And even though there's a game, another game tonight, uh, that I, I was impressed with the, uh, with the resilience for the squad. And so I, I think we've seen a, a lot of good things. What have, what have your thoughts been? Yeah, I mean, there's been clear progress on the Pelicans' front on both ends, I would say. I think the offense is getting slightly better. I don't. It's not where I, w- I would like it to be, particularly in, in the half court, but they're doing really well pushing the pace, which is their strength. I know people have called out uh, for us to slow down the pace this whole season, but I just I don't see how you can watch this team and how they operate in the half court anytime the game slows down <laughs> and, and realize like, Oh my God, this is what the team needs to be doing more because I mean, they're Did you call it a better. zone. Didn't you call it the Lakers playing a zone last night? No, we were playing a zone. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I mean, the Lakers don't even need to play a zone. They're ginormous. They just sit their ass <laughs> in the paint and all the Pelicans are, I, I can't go in there. I mean, Drew had like two moments where he saw AD, he had an open layup. And he didn't take the open layup because he saw AD and then try to pass it off to the role man. And he's like, okay, thanks. I'll take this. <laughs> um, it's like, dude, you played with him for six years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anywho, uh, I, I think the Pelicans need to continue to play fast. Uh, they need Lonzo to continue to push the pace. He's been playing really well in the, in the up-tempo game, I think. He's put together his two best games uh, as a Pelican back-to-back, which is encouraging. Um, his, he's clearly, I guess, finding his legs, as he said, uh, he threw down, I think more dunks last night than he did all season, uh, which is impressive because a few of them weren't like garbage dunks where it's just a breakaway steal or whatever it is. They were, a few of them were, I'm going to go waltz right down the lane and, and throw it in you because you guys aren't respecting a, a me, uh, defensively. And uh, there's, there's a lane, which is good. I want him to continue to attack in such a way, but yeah, the Pelicans. I, well, yeah, no, I, go for it. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think what a lot of people have been frustrated about with the Pelicans and pace and tongue and yelling to slow down pace is the the this notion that the the quick shots lead to easy buckets on the other end for the for the opponent, which which has some merit, but at the same time, I think we've seen this team knows is getting doing a better job of figuring out when and how to push the pace 
and also the combination of, of personnel and changing rotations to guys who are it's it's effort and it's and it's personnel. I mean, getting favors back and getting other guys um, just running and making sure that you get back on defense and, and know where you're supposed to be on the defensive end in a transition type opportunity. I think makes a, a world of difference, and it's not just about um, you know miss missing a shot and then uh, are, are going trying to play fast and having that result in easy buckets to the opponent. I mean, I think you still see things like. Um, there, there, I mean, there are certain situations where Drew or, or, or Hart or, or Lonzo even are, are, are taking maybe threes a little too rushed uh, in, in the shot clock without looking for a better shot. But I think, that's, I think we're seeing less and less of that. I, I think that was much more of an issue earlier on in the season. And, and um, you know, I, I think they're getting better at figuring out what shots are good shots in this system and also on the defensive end, when, how, to, how to get back on defense and, and where you're, how to fill the right lanes defensively and, and make sure that we're not – totally out of position. I think that they had some trouble with that against the Lakers last night, but who isn't going to have trouble against the Lakers with that? So um, general steps in the right direction. Yeah, I agree. I think the defense has been better. Uh, I think guys like Brandon Ingram have been playing better defense, although last night was an example where they were just thoroughly outclassed when it came to size. They had Brandon Ingram matched up with JaVel McGee because of the three front court players the Lakers were starting, Javel is the most useless. They had Drew matched up with LeBron or AD, and then Favors matched up with LeBron or AD, which is absolutely absurd to think about from a matchup <laughs> standpoint. Yeah. And, and I, I tweeted about this earlier today, um, how Drew actually spent most of his possessions in the game defending LeBron or AD. And he's a 6'4 guard, and we know he's an all-defensive player, but... Anthony Davis is near seven foot and one of the best players in the league. LeBron might be the best player in the league. And you're having your six, four guard defend these two um, being completely worked. So he has less energy on offense and in turn is also defended by those two on the other end. I don't think that's a recipe for success. And I don't think that's, that's Gentry's fault because your other options are Nicola Melli and Kenrich Williams. And Kenrich did a good job of one-on-one defense on Anthony Davis to the tune of getting lit up for 41 points the first matchup. (laughs) I mean, like, that does a disservice to the job Kenrich did. Kenrich did a really good job. And the Lakers kept on attacking that, which took them out of their, their offense. And the whole yep. point of Kenrich being able to do it was you didn't need to send a double. And if you don't need to send a double, then you kind of live at AD making shots at a 50% clip. And as long as you're making shots on the other end, and then, you know, Kyle Kuzma came in and made a bunch of threes in the fourth quarter of that previous game. Right. And it kind of blew the game open. But long yeah. term, when you, when you look at defending of the bigger forwards, I mean, Zion's going to take some of that responsibility. I don't anticipate him being a good defender uh, this year or in perhaps even next year. Um, but, you know, you're going to need something else when you're going against the Paul Georges, the Kawhis, the Giannis's. Uh, you're going to need more oomph there. Yeah, and, I mean, so Kenbridge was one thing I, I, I mentioned last night, and I, I'm not – I'm not saying Gentry made a mistake or anything like I understand you're trying to, you're trying to figure out what works best. He clearly played, he played a short rotation in the first half last night. He was, um, you know, obviously he was doing what he could to keep the game close and take the Pel- have the Pelicans take their best shot, especially after 
three or four days off. Um, but also, I wonder, you know, Ingram's done really well. And I, I, this is apples to oranges, that kind of. But uh, he he had he played really well defensively against guys like Kristaps this year. And AD is obviously better than Porzingis. But also, they sometimes will kind of default to the same type of post-up or, or, or our isolation-type mentality. Um, not necessarily post-ups, but just isolation mentality. Uh, and that, like you said in the first game, that kind of takes the team out of their offense. Uh, and so I wonder if that – I wonder – why they didn't go to that. But I think again, to your point, it's, it's more about like, just you don't have the personnel to match up overall as a team. And so you just got to do what you think is best in the moment. And, uh, and obviously it was, it's going to be a challenge against guys like LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Well, part of that is also recognizing that first game back was Anthony Davis's return game and LeBron for three quarters was just sitting back and letting him do what he wants. Yeah, true. LeBron was enabling him. You cannot expect that from LeBron James over the course of a game. And then, you know, the third quarter or the fourth quarter came in and LeBron started doing LeBron things and, and, and that game got blown open. This game, LeBron was assisting from the jump. He had five assists in the first five minutes. He finished the game with 15 assists. The offense ran through LeBron. I mean, like he didn't have a great scoring night, which is you don't need him to have a scoring night when AD's putting up 46 points, when Danny Green is making every open three you give him. Yeah. But he was the quarterback of the offense, which is, again, as much as you can be like, oh, we're going to bait the Pelicans, I mean, the Lakers into doing this and isolating AD, I don't think it's much of a bait as a decision from LeBron. I don't think you can fool LeBron into, into doing something he doesn't want to do. It's, it's, if he decides he's going to be the playmaker of this game, he's going to be the playmaker of this game. Yeah, yeah, and you've just got to hope you hang around long enough and, and then they miss some shots they would normally make. That's pretty much it. <laughs> Yeah, and then you got to hope you're making your shots at the clip you need to make them to. Uh, which the offense was, again, fine last night. It wasn't terrible. Half court was terrible. Um, but, but for the most part, it was fine. They were doing a good job of finding open looks. They just could not get to the line at all. Seven free throw attempts, 68 points in the paint. Yeah, and – I'll say that free throw stat. I thought that what Andrew Lopez posted late last night was really interesting about how the, it, the Pelicans having so few free throw attempts with so many points in the paint is almost unprecedented. And I think there's a lot of merit to that. But I also think the Pelicans just don't do a good job of getting to the foul line. So I think there's, uh, I think they got definitely got the short end of the officiating stick last night. But I also don't think it was incredibly egregious just because it's, it's somewhere the Pelicans generally struggle in the first place. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of their points in the paint weren't through traffic. They were through early offense, but there weren't that many defenders there, and they were largely clean looks. Right. Um, but, you know, it, it brings up a larger point. Uh, I want to talk about Brandon Ingram because Brandon Ingram, it's going to sound like I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk negative about him, really knows it's, t- it's going to lead into something very positive about him. But Brandon Ingram has now played the Lakers twice, and he struggled greatly in, in both games. He went 10 of 27 last night. Uh, only for 22 points, which anytime you score 22 points on 27 shots, that's less than ideal. Uh, again, I think a large part of that had to do with him defending these bigger guys. And and that takes you out of your game. Even if it's JaVel McGee, who is a roll man, dunk man, he's seven foot and probably has 50, 60 pounds on Ingram. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's tough. 
but it also kind of talks about how the Pelicans aren't quite there yet in terms of his defense. They can be like, okay, we're just going to put you on LeBron and live with it. They put guys like Etwan Moore on LeBron. And, and I think a lot, of, a lot of that was to protect him from foul trouble, uh, which is important, and, and to protect him on the other side of the floor. But it's clear the size of the Lakers gives – pretty much everyone on this team, uh, a big problem. But outside of these two games against the Lakers, Brandon Ingram has played extremely well for the season, and he's, he's lined himself up for a, a maximum contract. And Andrew Lopez wrote an article about his ultra-competitive nature and, and how he's looked at some of the extensions that his peers have gotten. In, in how good was that quote, man? That was a great <laughs> how quote. good was that? That was a great quote. And he's basically been like, oh, my God, like, this motherfucker got an extension? <laughs> that, that's the quote. I, and, I tweeted that quote out, and everyone was like, yep, that's Jamal Murray. <laughs> everyone <laughs> said that. <laughs> like, consensus, he's talking about Jamal Murray. <laughs> right. And so... Clearly, you know, the, the Pelicans and Ingram were in a mutual understanding of what his future can look like and, and what they are willing to do with him, uh, even though they didn't extend him this summer. And I don't think there was any love lost there. I think Ingram understood because he was coming off an injury and it's a new place. And, you know, he's got a lot to prove himself. And, and he has proved it. And so I wrote about what Brandon Ingram's max contract is going to look like. And essentially with a max contract, there are many different versions and, and they depend on a lot of things. They depend on your years of service. So if you're a rookie um, coming off your rookie scale contract and you, you've played four years, you're eligible for what's called the 25% max. And actually that, that applies from an age bracket of zero to six years. You know, if, if, you're, if you're getting the veteran max, which is from seven to nine years, I believe, you get 30% of the salary cap as your maximum contract. And then after that, the 10 plus year service one is 35% of the salary cap. So it's, it's stratified. And, and obviously Ingram is in line for this, this 25% maximum contract coming off of his rookie scale deal. Now there are small provisions that allow you to increase this max and they, Essentially, without getting too in the weeds of the technical details, I lay it out in the article. If Brandon Ingram this year hits any of the All-NBA teams, or he wins MVP, or he wins Defensive Player of the Year, he's eligible for uh, a Rose Rule max, which allows him to get 30% of the salary cap instead of 25%. I don't think he's going to hit any of that criteria. Uh, I think he has an outside chance of making an all-NBA team if things break right, if the Pelicans do extremely well and some other guys get injured. Uh, it's it's unlikely, to say the least. So we're just going to assume he's mm-hmm. going to get a 25% max here. But what's really interesting is then the negotiation comes down to discussing how many years is this going to be and you know what kind of options are included in this. Now, if I'm Brandon Ingram, I want the most amount of money and the most amount of flexibility and the most amount of security. So I'm going to go to David Griffin and I'm going to ask him, I want four years and a player option like Anthony Davis had at the and, max prices. 
Right. <laughs> 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 and I want a 15% trade kicker like Anthony <laughs> Davis had. Yeah. That's what I'm going to ask for. Because I know if I'm Brandon Ingram and I believe in my abilities to play as a max contract player, in four years, I'll also be a max contract player. And it's not unlikely I'm so good at that point that I have hit an all-NBA team or two. Uh, and I'm eligible for not only that 30% max that I'm going to be because I'm past that rookie scale deal, but I'm eligible for a 35% max because of the Rose. Um, I mean, I guess it's not called the Rose rule there, but just for hitting that criteria. Uh, if I'm Bannon Ingram, that's what I'm banking on. I'm good enough in four years. And if I'm not, okay, well, I have that 50 year I can opt into for a very additional security. And then the trade kicker is just gravy, right? Because, hey, if you guys ever decide to trade me, I get a nice little 15% bump on my salary, which is great. The Pelicans, on the other hand, they've seen what happens with Anthony Davis. They've seen what happens when a player can leverage a threat of a player option. They, you know, you, you lose one year of control on that player. And, and honestly, like this pre agency stuff starts even before the player is anywhere near that option if, if things aren't going well like we saw with Anthony Davis so the Pelicans have seen that what they're going to ask for is the most amount of control on the contract which is a five-year maximum contract deal with no options or a team option right and and I talk about the team option I I, I don't think that conversation even like realistically no, happens because I, I Ingram's going to look at them and, and laugh and, and <laughs> that's that that's going to be the end of the conversation yeah. And so that's what the struggle is going to be. That's rare. Like, do have we ever seen a max contract with a team option? I don't, I can't remember. Yeah. Well, t- in, in, so we've seen max. A, oh no, but the team option. No, no, yeah, no, I don't right. think so. I, I don't remember it. I don't, I don't remember either. I thought you were saying, have we seen a five year straight deal? And, and yeah, so I mean, we've seen, yeah. yeah. So like, this is what the fight's going to come down to is, is the four plus one or the five, five years. And in history says, David Griffin and the Pelicans are going to lose this negotiation because what leverage do they have against Brandon Ingram? Ingram can hit the free agency this summer as a restricted free agent, can have any number of teams lined up to give him a max contract, and he can probably bully them into giving him a three plus one. So, an important distinguishing factor between another team giving you a max contract and the Pelicans giving you a max contract. Well, the Pelicans can give you 8% annual raises. Other teams are capped at 5% annual raises, but over the course of three years, that's like five or $6 million. That's it. It's not much. And he can easily make that up. Okay. He's played three years. He opts out, hits free agency. Again, the cap is higher. The percentage of his max is higher. So he can easily make that money up. So he can leverage, oh, well, I can, I can sign a three plus one from another team and you guys are going to match it, which is fine, but you guys only get three years of me then. And the Pelicans don't want any scenario where they only have three years of Brandon Ingram. And he's irritated because they disrespected him by not giving him what he wanted. That's just a lose-lose scenario. So what's going to happen in all likelihood is Brandon Ingram is going to agree to a four plus one max unless he's feeling particularly charitable and we've seen examples like that. We've seen Kevin Durant is first stint at OKC. He signed a five-year max all the way through. He didn't have to. There was no reason for him to. We've seen Giannis Antetokounmpo take slightly below the max. He didn't have to do that. 
But sometimes, you know, guys are feeling nice and charitable and they do it for whatever reason. That's not something I can predict. And, and I don't know what the relationship is going to be like. I just think realistically don't expect that to happen. If you could, if you could bet on, and I'm, I'm in total agreement with, with everything you've said, but, but if you had, and I agree that four plus one is the most likely option. If you could bet on four years straight, no options or five years straight, no options as the second most likely option, where are you going? You go, I, I think it's five, right? Versus four. Yeah, I think it's five. Yeah. I think it's five. And I think if five happens, then either Ingram is feeling charitable or there's some hesitation on his part about his ability to garner a next max contract or his, his long-term health. Right. And so he's seeking the most amount of security he can. Yeah. That would be my understanding. Or he's just, you know, uh, upstanding team first guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least at the you know we're talking about this and keep keep referencing the Anthony Davis situation, but at least in this situation, there's a whole there's a guy named Zion who's going to be I don't know who's going to be what 22 uh, when this when the Ingram contract comes up next time or 23. So um, hopefully, hopefully Brandon Ingram's got a lot of reasons to want to stick around. Well, yeah, and and that brings me to my next point, which is a small little wrinkle in, in Brandon Ingram's max contract is by the Pelicans, not choosing to extend him this past summer, you know, Jamal Murray got extended, Ben Simmons got extended. They could have extended Ingram, but they didn't. But if they did and they made him a max player, they likely would have made him what is called a designated player knowing that, okay, you haven't hit free agency yet, but when you go into free agency, you're going you're gonna to get this max contract. And then, you know, if you hit this criteria of all NBA or whatever, your max is going to go up accordingly. Um, they could have made him a designated player. And that's important that they did it. Because as a team, you were limited to two, only two designated rookies. And you can have two designated vets. So he would have counted as a designated rookie. This is important because we saw the Celtics could not trade for Anthony Davis because they had already received one designated rookie via trade in Kyrie Irving. That was a whole mess. The Pelicans are allowed two designated rookies, one either by trade or you can have two via draft um, where you extend the player. So you you can't have two via trade, which is what the Celtics are trying to do. Zion Williamson, in all likelihood, is going to be one of those designated rookies. This gives the Pelicans flexibility to go after another guy should he became, become available. Carl Anthony Towns is a designated rookie. Devin Booker is a designated rookie. If they trade for you know, a, a young player that is deserving of, of a designated rookie uh, extension, they still have that slot that's going to go to Zion Williamson and they're not hamstrung. So uh, this might not end up mattering at all in the future if they if they don't get a caliber of those a player of that caliber but it's important they just didn't limit themselves off of a sheer technicality i mean haven't you seen i mean that the real issue is going to come into play is next year when lonzo gets that designated extension right exactly this allows you to max lonzo (laughs) playing 40 minutes a night he's going to put up 27 and 10 every every night no uh, joking aside, it's it's a great breakdown, and I'm sure the listeners will be uh, happy and thankful to kind of get that 
clear picture and why, why it matters. I mean, this is, I think, you know, I, I think the fan base in general is kind of all in favor of Ingram getting that max deal. I mean, this, this team, and we, we've said it before, this team hasn't had a legit max caliber, anything close to it, uh, wing like Ingram uh, or legit three in years. I mean, Jamal Mashburn and Peja, like that's, that's it. And this, uh, this team's 15, 20 year tenure in New Orleans. And so you get this guy and it's not, even, I'm not even saying you would overpay to keep him. which I mean, there's a case we made you should, but I think he's very much deserving of that max contract. And, and I, I agree with you that he's going to have a lot of leverage here. And, and if Griff can do anything, uh, more than just a max raises four plus one type deal. I think that's a, that's a minor win for the Pelicans. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you look at Kirk Goldsberry posted a graphic of, you know, the leading scorers from each location on the basketball mm-hmm. court for the decade. And mm-hmm. from the corner, the corner three, the Pelicans leading scorer was Dante Cunningham <laughs> for the decade. <laughs> That, I mean, that speaks as much to the injuries as anything else, though, right? Oh, of course, but still. I mean, not like we but had a should great have been Eric player Gordon. get – Oh, yeah. That should have been Eric Gordon. should have been. <laughs> but still, I mean, that, that's absurd. Uh, yeah, so the Pelicans have a fantastic piece in Ingram, and I don't anticipate him going anywhere. In fact, I anticipate that his max has already been agreed upon. Mm-hmm. The, the, yep. that, that they've already talked to him and they've been like, yep, you're good, man. Just, just keep doing you, keep playing. Because mm-hmm. you don't want a situation where a player continually feels like he has something to play for. You reassure him, okay, hey, you're good. Now you get to play your game. I mean, you, it's not like you're taking away all motivation from him because nothing is – the deal isn't signed, right? And, but it allows him to play in a way where he's not trying to go and do too much. Yeah, I mean – and. Based on things we've heard, based on that, the confidence with which Lopez wrote that article yesterday, I think, I think to assume that, this, that both sides haven't even talked about this deal is lunacy. I, think, I, I feel very, very confident in this deal getting done before he even hits restricted free agency. So, um, I mean, it, it just makes a, lot of, it makes a lot of sense for a ton of reasons. And it's just really exciting to have. Um, and this is I, – I was saying it through the middle of a massive losing streak because, you know – it, you you based on what you've seen so far this season, you have Ingram, Zion, and Jax for the foreseeable future. And even if we're seeing a flash of the band from Jackson Hayes and it doesn't end up panning out, I don't think that's the case. I think he's already shown he's going to turn into a legitimate NBA player. That's a pretty cool cool thing to have as your core uh, moving forward. So, um, you know, uh, whatever you think about Zion or whatever you think about Lonzo or Nikhil. Uh, you know, those, those guys, I don't think you can call them sure things at this point, but at, at, at a minimum, you have those three front court players, which is going to be really, really fun for the future. Ever seen an untucked button down? They look bad. Why? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck It shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. With more than 50 plus fit combinations, Untuck It shirts look great on small, Short, slim, tall, and athletic guides of all ages. You can find your favorite Untuck It style online or check out one of their 80 brick and mortar stores. Choose from styles like wrinkle-free button-downs, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And their website is so easy to use. They even have a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. 
So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untucket is the way to go. Visit untucket.com and use the code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. So let's move on to the next segment of our podcast in which we answer questions from users. This is the most fun part of the podcast. Too much basketball questions. Yeah, Not there's enough. so many basketball so questions. Okay, well, I guess we can we can start and ask basketball, answer basketball questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess this is kind of relevant. So we'll, we'll, we'll discuss this and get it out of the way before we get to silly stuff. So the first question, what do you guys think of Lonzo now? <laughs> you you want to go uh, on that one? Yeah, I mean, I – so I think – I think so, so some of the things I've been most frustrated with this year, and maybe this is partially my own doing is just uh, when I make comments, either positive or negative about a player or you know, me or, or us that they assume it's static and players can't get better or worse. And, and our minds are made up about these guys. And it's just, that's just not the case. And look, I'm not here to say that Lonzo's last two or three games are an indication. That's exactly what you're going to get from him going forward. But I think there's been clear improvement uh, there was comments from Lonzo about getting his legs uh, under him. I think you mentioned at the start of the podcast. I think that's all fair. And I just want to see more of it. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not ready to, to send him to Siberia. I, I mean, or trade him to wherever the hell you want to trade him for a, a, a 2025 second round pick. I'm not trying to do that. Um, but I just want to see more of it. I, I don't, um, you know, I think the Pelicans have the minutes to give to him to, and the, McNamara might disagree with this, but I, I think it's fair. I mean, I, I think let's, let's, you know, move Frank Jackson to the end of the bench and give minutes to either Lonzo and maybe a little bit of Nikhil as we, as we move forward. But um, I, I'm, I'm more than happy to, to invest in him for at least for the, you know, to, to in the near future to make sure that he, to see if he can keep this up. Um, and so TBD, but I think to say that he hasn't improved recently would be, would be crazy. I mean, he, he clearly has shown, shown steps. The question is, as it always, as it always has been with Lonzo is consistency. Yeah. And my answer would be my stance hasn't changed because if you feel like my stance should change, then you have a complete misunderstanding of what my stance is. I'm not rooting for this guy to fail. I only point on observations. That's it. Mm -hmm. So if he's been struggling, which has been the majority of this season and you're like, why are you pointing out more flaws than, than, than not? Well, because that is what's been happening on the court. I'm not trying to say that's what's going to continue to happen, but that's what's been happening. Lonzo has been playing really well over this stretch. He's been pushing the ball really well over this stretch. There are things he he is doing beyond his jump shot, which is the most over-talked about point. Like, I think when we got him, I said – there is a pathway for him to be an extremely successful player without ever being an above average jump shooter. You can do that. And last night was a great example of scoring diversity where he scored from all over the floor. He only went two for seven from, from three, which is mm-hmm. meh at best, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. So my take with Lonzo is anytime I talk about him, it's observationally. And if I say he's not a good fit with the starting lineup, it has nothing to do with what I think he is capable of in the future. I think my point has always been is I don't see him as a point guard. 
And if you look at him as a wing, which is what I've been doing, you're going to be happy with what he's giving you. Because, mm-hmm. you know, like if you were to magically transplant him to the previous era of Pelicans basketball and you gave him every single minute that Solomon Hill had, how good would the Pelicans be? Pretty darn good. And you could – and your offensive structure overall wouldn't change other than Lonzo will get – time as a ball handler uh, leading the bench unit. He'll have the ability to push the pace and, and et cetera, et cetera. To me, he is a playmaking wing that is fantastic in the open court. In the half court, he's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. I, I think he can improve probabilistically. I'm not counting on it because I'm not the type to set myself up with huge expectations just because, you know, a person had one or two good games. But I think he has a pathway to be a very effective player down the line, especially if how he's utilized is is changed. And I don't think it needs to change because the Pelicans kind of realize this. They're not really taking the ball out of Drew's and, and B.I.'s hand. They're not. And so we'll see. I want him to continue to do well. I want him to continue to get an opportunity to grow with this team and – Hopefully he does better with, with Zion when Zion comes back. And, you know, if the Pelicans have the opportunity to trade him for something that fits better, I wouldn't be opposed to that. I'm not married to this guy. I don't have delusions that this guy is going to be a star. I think he's going to be an effective player. I still believe he doesn't have much trade value in the league. And so you may be right. It might be more worthwhile for the Pelicans just to keep him and build that value. But that, that's where I'm at with Lonzo. Cool. Uh-huh. To get that out of the way, we'll go with a palate cleansing question. Do you consider Groundhog Day a holiday? It automatically populates on the calendar. <laughs> That's, no, I, I don't. It's, that, that, it's a fair point that it automatically shows up on a calendar, but uh, I don't even think about it. Although I guess now in the North I should because of the whole condition that apparently exists about how more – more days of or more weeks of winter or something but sounds like a disease um, <laughs> uh but yeah i am uh i'm i'm, I'm anti-groundhog day as a legitimate holiday we have enough of them well what is a holiday like is halloween a holiday what is a sandwich but what is a holiday <laughs> and don't say drew <laughs> happy holidays uh like do you count halloween as a holiday yeah See, I maybe a, I'm like too. I have a benchmark for what holidays are. That's, maybe I'm too like little, jaded in terms of like corporate in the, in the corporate world. Like a holiday is a day I have off. Yeah. So if you if I don't have off that day, you're not a holiday. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I think that maybe you you set bank holidays as your barometer because if they, if it's a holiday, the bank's off. Like that's that's what I've learned. So uh, and the thing is, like, well, people are like, oh, well, you know, like, what about like important holidays of other cultures and religions well you know if you go to india you have off for diwali so that's a holiday you know um i think if you go to other places and, and there's a holiday for for that day or event and that's, that's a holiday but there's no we don't get off for mardi gras in chicago which is still yes it should be a national holiday yeah i agree with that <laughs> you should give us the whole week off yeah Okay. Recovery. Next 
question in one sentence how do you sum up nba twitter god i didn't want to go i didn't want to do this one (laughs) uh uh i gotta i gotta think about this one do you do you have something there um in one sentence i guess i would say nba twitter tries to do the most It's a, it's a place where takes run unchecked and uh, unsubstantiated. And it's frustrating and it's a run-on sentence. And I think run-on sentences are kind of synonymous with Twitter anyway. So I'm okay with that. Okay, but okay. Well, I'll just <laughs> add this. NBA Twitter is like a large gathering of people on the world's biggest bar and <laughs> and sometimes that can be very fun and sometimes that results in drunken brawls yeah so certainly drives you to to drink alcohol that's for sure okay yep nba twitter cool stuff <laughs> um <clears throat> is it conceivable that zion enter the rookie of the year discussion with a number of games missed i think so uh, I mean, your your leader right now would be Ja, and he's missed some games. So, I mean, I think the favorite is still Morant, but I don't think as far as who would be second in the all-star voting, I think there's no clear answer to that. And so if he can destroy Worlds when he comes back, uh, I think he can certainly get make it a, make it a discussion. Yeah, I think it's going to have to be a combination of his performance and the Pelicans' relative performance mm-hmm. to Memphis and, and other teams. So it's not unreasonable. I don't really care too much for it. I mean, yeah, I mean, AD didn't win rookie of the year. Damian Lillard did. So yeah, it's, who cares? Who cares? Giannis, I don't think won rookie of the year. So he's doing good things. Um, we'll do one last basketball question, and then I don't think we have any other fun questions so i've got this this one on here i thought it's basketball related but it's kind of fun oh maybe yeah uh so one i saw was uh best visiting arena experience oh that's a great question for you you've been to many (laughs) yeah um so i think my favorite was mm, i like the spurs arena a lot man i it's it's just they have it i don't know something about the fact that the team is just like black and white colors like black gray and white makes the arena look pretty pretty cool um they have an in-house dj who is pretty that was that was that was a pretty unique uh addition uh i don't know it was just i thought i thought the the experience they create is uh for the fans is, is a lot of fun um i that so that's where yeah that would be my answer is the spurs and i've, okay. I've, I've been to like a Ten to twelve, I think, and I think that's number one. I know Oracle was really cool, but that's just—I mean, but that's no longer Oracle. But that was that was fun. But that was a playoff game, so that's, I'm kind of biased in that regard. Yeah, I've only been to three, um, so I don't really have much to offer. I would say I didn't like Houston's arena. Uh, Houston has these like weird steep, and like their first like lower bowl sections like really steep and. Um, it extends really far back and I'm, I don't really know how to describe it, but it wasn't yeah. the best. Um, I really, really enjoyed Memphis. This is arena, the FedEx forum. Huh. 
Never been. Uh, I went there a couple times, and I think actually the last time I went was a playoff game, and it was game six of Grizzlies versus the Spurs. Grizzlies were eight seed, Spurs were one seed, and the Grizzlies outed them. So it was an elimination game oh, wow. where the yeah, Grizzlies awesome. upset them, and the whole arena was completely wild, and well, it was a great experience. So I recommend Memphis. I mean, both those cities are close to, to New Orleans. So if you get a chance, yeah. definitely check them out. Yeah. I'm really excited for – and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be able to go this year, I don't think. But uh, I, I went to a Pelicans-Bucks game the last year in Milwaukee's old, old arena, and they built a brand-new, really awesome uh, arena this uh, – I think – I don't know if this year is the first year or last year is the first year, but really it's, it's an hour-and-a-half drive from Chicago, so I'm going to get there eventually. I'm looking forward to that. But, yeah, for now I'm sticking with San Antonio. Okay, good, good call. I mean, we both picked divisional arenas. Yeah, true. Easy to hit up, easy to see the Pelicans. Mm -hmm. All right, so last question, and this is regarding Derek Favors. And the question is, what kind of contract do you see Favors setting himself up for? That's a... that's that's a tough question given where Favors is in his career um, and what the market looks like. So obviously, we've we've talked a lot about how this this free agent class is nothing special. But also, I haven't I haven't done my homework on how many teams have will actually have cap space this summer. I don't know how many it is, but um, you know, it, and a lot of it depends on what Favors wants. I mean, the Pelicans could certainly overpay him on a on a shorter term deal, or if he wants one more long term contract to get locked into at a lower per year amount given where he is uh, on his, like in his age. Uh, I think he could probably find that somewhere. Um, but I mean, if, I, if I'm the Pelicans, I'm trying to lock him into like maybe like a two year deal at above market value and see if he bites. Um, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think his last deal is an interesting precedent where he only, I think he only had two or three years on his last deal and significant unguaranteed money. I mean, Jazz had to guarantee this year's contract for him to even be traded to the Pelicans when they could have weighed him at a small non-guarantee amount. I don't think his market's going to be that much higher this summer. I understand the free agency class is weak, but bigs are quite literally have never been valued less. And, and I know that Golden State is no longer a thing, but bigs like him who don't really space the floor, can't really put the ball on the floor much, are, are frankly going out of style and he has more value to the Pelicans than I think he would to, I don't know. Maybe that's not a fair, fair assumption. I think he, he would impact uh, a team like Boston or a team like the Clippers really well, but like they don't really have the means to acquire him. And so when you look at the teams that do have the means to acquire him, I think the biggest one you have to be scared of is Atlanta. Uh, they're, they have a ton of, cap space and they're rumored to be scouring the league for bigs and are in discussions for Andre Drummond. And if they get Andre Drummond, great. Uh, but they, they, you know, they, they want a center and I think they're your main competition and I can't imagine them blowing the bank for, for Derek Favors. And so I think you can get a reasonable two or three year deal that is team friendly, has some non-guaranteed money or has some team options or something and and basically take you through the rest of Zion's rookie deal and until Hayes is ready to be a full-time starter. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. And I think I think even maybe I don't, 
do you go three years if you have to? I mean, I know it's cost dependent, but I mean, I, I think I would even do some sort of like partial guarantee in the third year, maybe. Yeah, um, I, I would need some partial guarantees. Yeah. I, but I would, you know, if it came down to like, what is the max three years you would do? 360? Mm. I would do 360 if it was declining. So okay. you front load it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of, I, I think the move would be to, for really for any, any free agent the Pelicans thinking about bringing back this summer or, I mean, for Ingram aside, I think, I think front loading wherever you can makes a lot of sense because I don't, doesn't seem like this team, this team is not going to be players in free agency this, this summer. So, um, but yeah, that's absolutely front load. However, however you can. Cool. We'll see what happens with Derek favors until then. Thank you for listening to this episode of in the know. everyone my name is colin kelly and i have one question for you do you love fantasy football and do you want to win in 2021 then be sure to check out rotoviz overtime and all the other rotoviz podcasts with new shows dropping every day on blue wire we've got you covered for all things fantasy football subscribe to rotoviz overtime today